0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 30 to 5, don't stand just yet. I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and uh, we might be standing for a little bit anyway. And that's what everyone loves to hear, Um, so you're all excited about that. So i want to give you a minute to sit, and then we'll stand in a moment. Last time we were in Genesis, we were in the first part of Genesis 35. We had just come through Jacob's, uh, this time in Jacob's life that wasn't real great. Genesis 34 um, was his time in Shechem, and it was something of a disaster. And so the beginning of chapter 35 sees Jacob... Responding to God's word to come back to Bethel. To get back and get back where you're supposed to be. And Bethel means house of God. And the first step out of a spiritual slump is often to reprioritize God's house. You've got to get back to the house of God if you're going to get out of your spiritual slump. And so upon hearing the call of God to return to Bethel, um, in verse two, we saw that it says that Jacob said unto his household, and he was willing to lead his family to get back to God. Uh, he he was willing to say, "Hey, listen, wives, children, w- w- wives, children, everybody, let's go back to Bethel. Let's get back to the house of God. That's what homes need. Men, we need dads that are willing to lead their families to reprioritize the things that are important to God." And then we also see in verse two that God said uh, that God had said, "Put away the strange gods that are among us." and so his, most of his clan, most of his family had been raised being influenced by the idolatry of Laban's household. I mean, his own wife, Rachel, had stolen her father's gods when they fled from Padan Aram. And, and uh, in order to break a slump, sometimes, Christian, you're going to have to untie yourself from the dock so that you can set sail for God. And, and they, Jacob knew we've got to get rid of the things that are holding us back. Uh, God had said, be clean and change your garments and getting back into God's house and getting out of a slump sometimes means that we've, we've got to confess our sins, not sometimes, all the time. We've got to be willing to get right with God, get right inwardly, and then let that condition affect our outward behavior. And then we see that Jacob told his family in verse three, when he gets there, let us arise and go to Bethel, I'll make there an altar unto God. Jacob was not just interested in getting back to the place, he was, getting, he was interested in getting back to the right relationship with God. He was going to go and he was going to be a worshiper. He wasn't just going to go and, and sit, he was going to have a walk with God and I'm thankful for these, these examples of how Jacob said, we're going to get out of our slump, it's time to get back where God wants us to be. And Jacob took steps to break the slump. He led his family to Bethel. They got rid of the idols. They got rid of the false gods. They rose up and left. And once they got there, Jacob built an altar. And he worshiped God. And the Bible says they lived happily ever after. Now that was sarcasm. In case you missed it because it doesn't say that. And sometimes we think that's how it's going to work out. But God, your word said, and I did. and I mean, it's supposed to get easy now. Well, that's not how it works. If you came to be encouraged today, maybe come back tonight. Because, no, I think you'll be encouraged by the end of it. But sometimes we think that it's only positive once you obey. It's only easy once you start going in the right direction again. Well, I want to read then uh, this, the rest of this and just get an idea of, what, uh, of a truth that I think will be a help to us. In verse 8, let's stand as we begin reading in verse 8. Again, this is after Jacob. Jacob has, has he's led his family. They've gone back to Bethel. They got rid of the idols. They che- changed their garments. They got right with God. He builds an altar. He's worshiping. Things are, look like they're going to go great. But look at verse 8. But Deborah rebecca's nurse died and we're going to get more into this but rebecca was somebody that jacob had a lifelong relationship with rebecca is is his mother jacob's mother rebecca so obviously then deborah was his mother's nurse which means she probably held jacob when he was a baby So this isn't just one of the ladies in the caravan that dies. This is a second mother to him. This is somebody he loves dearly. And we know that because uh, uh, he calls the name of it Alan Bacchoth... ...which means means oak of weeping or tree of weeping. This was a a heavy loss for Jacob. So I want you just to see as we go through this. You've got over here all the positives. Yes, uh, we're going back to Bethel. We got rid of the idols. Things are looking good. But then right over here immediately... Deborah dies. So this is going to be a pendulum swing. And so I'm, I got to get my steps in this morning. So we'll see what happens. It gets positive again in verse 9. God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of and Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, he reconfirms the covenant. He says, thy name is Jacob. That name shall not be called anymore Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai is what that means. Be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins, he says. El Shaddai, it means that God is not only all-powerful, but God also applies that power to our lives. He is all-sufficient for us. He doesn't just have the power and we never see it. No, he actually sustains us with that same power. That's what El Shaddai means. That's that's what that name of God here in verse 11 means. Verse 12, And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. Even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him. Bethel. I mean, things are looking good. Things are looking up. Things are positive. This is good. There's genuine worship. There's interaction. And so now Jacob's back over. Deborah's died. But Jacob's back over here. And things are great. um, But it doesn't stay there. Look at verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was, a, uh, there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed. And she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear now, not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died. That she called his name Benoni, or Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So things were good. They're on their way. But then Rachel dies. Now, Rachel, is his, this is the wife he loves, and this is This is no easy thing. this is J- Jacob is mourning the loss she dies in childbirth this is This is like one of those big ship rides is what I think you know you go to the amusement park and in one minute you're up and then the next swing you're over here, and then the next swing you're back over here. Things are really good over here, but then things are really bad over here and I just see Jacob. Going back and forth, I mean, like a bumper car just bounced around and back and forth. And over here, then over there. Over there, it's good. Over there, it's good. Then Deborah dies. Over here, he meets with God. Then Rachel dies. Back again. The pendulum swings aren't over, though. Look at verse 21. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went... And lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Now the son, and, and so, I'll just, it seems, I just can't believe something like this is happening. Reuben, his oldest son, decides to lay with Jacob's concubine. one of, I mean, you might consider her, his mistress or his wife is a different culture than his oldest son lays with her. And it causes a huge issue, which we'll look at later. The pendulum, it just never stops. You know, we read the rest of it and we see how, how God reminds them of the blessings. And look at all the sons and all of this. And, and Jacob, verse 27, Jacob came unto Isaac his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arbat, or Arbal, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And right when you think, okay, the pendulum is back over here and it's positive and it's good. Okay, all that other stuff, but he's finally back with his father. I mean, after 30 plus years of not being near Isaac, Jacob is finally back with his father. And you think, finally, they can get some rest. Finally, things can get back to normal. But look at verse 28. And the days of Isaac were 104 score years. He was 180 years old. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died. And was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Okay. So, do you get the idea? The pendulum swings. It's good one moment, it's awful the next. It's good again, it's awful again, back and forth. And I'm telling you today, this is an example of what it looks like to follow God. You want to serve God? That's wonderful. I'm glad. It's the best life. Okay, it's the best life. But what we lose sight of is this: in serving God, it doesn't mean you avoid the difficulties. See, there are some that are trying to escape a slump today. You're trying to get out of it. Let me tell you, and I know you've been standing, but, but I've got your attention here. Let me tell you, don't convince yourself it's going to get easy just because you're moving in the right direction again. There will always be resistance on your journey toward God. And it's not your avoidance of the difficulties, it's not your avoidance of the negatives that determines your success, it's your response to the negatives that determines the level that God will keep blessing you. It is not you avoiding the hard things, it's your response to the hard things that makes all the difference. And I want to focus today on what Rachel and and Jacob did. Rachel looked at this son that represented her sorrow and she said, Benoni. And Benonin means sorrow. But Jacob looked at the same son and he said, Benjamin. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. It means, it means strength. It means honor. It means that Jacob chose to look past the difficulty and say, you know what? God's not done working here. And we have we have two choices. We can either look at our circumstances and let them take us down, Benoni. Or we can look at our circumstances and say, God is still at work and say, Benjamin, you have the choice this morning. Will it be for you, Benoni or Benjamin? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help me to convey it. I know there's a lot here. Help me to do it in an efficient and succinct way. And I pray that you'd help us to listen and apply it. God, use it this morning to make a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I preached at a men's advance in Oklahoma, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Which, um, by the way, it's good to have Brother Samuel's mother, Elisa Hardy, here with us. Uh, bringing Emily up for the summer to, to be here. And great to have here, her here. But I preached at the church that Brother Hardy, her, her husband pastors, Wayne Hardy... And uh, one of the angles of that meeting utilized uh, the thought of physics. And some of you are like, that sounds terrible. Mark Rebel was there. He was loving it because he's a nerd. So, you know, anytime an object, the idea is that time an object begins its motion, there will be forces working against its motion. See, you don't feel the effects of gravity all that much until you're, uh, if you're just standing still. But as soon as you try to jump, you really feel gravity. For some of you, as soon as you try to stand up, you feel gravity. We have men that ride motorcycles in our in our congregation in South Dakota. Wind will always be a factor. But standing still or sitting on your bike will feel much different than driving 70 miles down the free, an hour down the freeway. the The wind is one thing sitting still, it's another when you start to move. The faster you go, the more you'll feel the resistance. If you've ever tried to run into the ocean, you know what I'm talking about. Because you're running along, but then though you catch up to the water and it starts to get a little taller, and by the time it gets up to your knees, you're going down, because there's resistance. The, The faster you move, the more momentum you gain, the more you're going to feel the resistance of forces working against your forward motion, and it's true in many areas of our lives. It's true financially. We've got some folks in our church this last year in January, we had financial peace, and financial peace was a blessing to many many of our families financial peace university and I I hope that that we're, we're going to have to actually have another round of that in the fall if you didn't get a chance to do it I hope you'll sign up but financial peace university and you know Dave Ramsey tells you what to do and if you'll follow his principles it'll be a help to you and we have some that graduated and you paid off a credit card and And maybe you even cut that thing up and you're happy. Yes, we've cut up the credit card. We've got an emergency fund. Things are going well. Well, as soon as you start doing those things, guess what? You're going to have an emergency. As soon as you pay off a bill, your car's going to break down. you are just, your gift is encouragement, Pastor. I just want to be a help to you today. You know, as soon as you get out of financial debt... There will be something that happens. It happens that's the way life works. Uh, As soon as you save up enough to fix the part on your car that needs to be fixed, guess what? Another part on your car is about to break down. You go to work and you're trying to get ahead at work and you're working hard and you're making headway. And and by the time you finally get done with one... Um, ...then only to have another project get dumped on you. Right, Brother Gabe? I mean, that's how it works at work. You, you finally get ahead and then here comes another project. You know, just the way it works... ...as soon as you start making some headway... ...get ready for resistance. It happens in parenting. As soon as you think, man, my child has finally learned this lesson... ...we've been working for months. Guess what's going to happen the next day? Their brain will, so, will bleed out of their ears at night... They will forget everything you've ever told them. And the next day they'll do the exact same thing you told them not to yesterday. That's life. You start making some headway. You start building some momentum. You start moving forward. There is resistance. It, ha- it happens in our spiritual lives. I've seen it over and over. And so have you. Uh, I've experienced it myself. You start making progress only to have something major happen that makes you question Why? See, Jacob was moving forward for God. He responded to God's word. There was no delay. He was leading his family. He was responsive. Uh, He left the the, the things that would have kept him or held him back. He left Shechem. He left a place of failure. He left a place of danger. He got rid of the idols. He got rid of, uh, of the things that weren't good for their spiritual lives. They confessed their sins. They even changed their garments. He, he set up an altar. He worshiped God. He wasn't just going through the motions. It's, a, it's almost like Jacob has turned a corner. Things are different now. Finally, God is opening up. God's communicating with him. God appears to him. God talks to him. God says in verse 10, God says in verse 11, there's conversation going on. There's communication going on. God's happy with Jacob's condition. He's he's thankful for what Jacob is doing. Jacob is worshiping. God confirms his promises. God reminds him of his blessings. God says, I'm going to do some incredible things with your family. Jacob was an active worshiper. He was doing right. That's our idea of moving forward for God. God. I mean, I could just focus on the positive. God speaks, we respond, we influence others, they follow, we get rid of idols, we confess our sins, we change our clothes, we walk with God. He speaks to us again, he confirms his promises, he renews his covenant. You read a verse, the Holy Spirit speaks to you through it. Maybe that's happened to you in your Bible reading. That's the way I imagined Jacob right here. You know, it's like if you've ever opened your Bible and, and God is really speaking to you through his word. And it's like you read another verse and God says something else, not audibly, but through his word. And it's real and there's a conversation and there's communion. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like that. I hope you've experienced that in your life. If you haven't, and you, you can This book is alive and God is alive and he wants to speak to you and you're moving forward and things are looking up, things are going well and you've probably, hopefully you've been there but don't miss it because all that momentum for God simply means the faster you move the more resistance you're about to face. The winds get stronger, the opposing forces seem more determined. Jacob was journeying, he was moving forward. But equal to our forward momentum, our resistant forces. Opposing forces were resisting Jacob's forward motion. Deborah died. You say, well, why is that a big deal? It was his mother's nurse. But just think of it, it's a sorrowful loss. He likely knew this woman his whole life. If it was his mother's nurse, then she probably held him as a baby. If it was his mother's nurse, she likely nurtured him as a child. She took care of him. I'm assuming that after Jacob left home, that Rebecca at some point along the way had died, and Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, had gone up to work with Jacob, to be with Jacob. This is somebody that he loved. This is a second mother for him. He's grief stricken. It's an oak of weeping is what he calls it. There were tears shed at the base of that tree. Listen, you're moving forward doesn't mean you won't face resistance. There will be tears at times. There will be heartache. And in this case, Jacob faced the sorrow of death. That's pretty heavy resistance. The ship was over here and now it's back over here. God comes back and confirms his promises again but it's not like the resistance is over then Rachel dies she has hard labor the bible says and and it was difficult labor in verse 16 and and they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath and Rachel travailed hard labor it says It comes It came to pass that in the middle of the labor her midwife is saying fear not thou shalt have the son also. And it came to pass though that her soul was departing. She died in having this child. It's a heavy, heavy point. The wife that Jacob loved so dearly is now gone. I mean think and I just some interesting things here. Rachel named her first son Joseph and Joseph means may he add. See, in, in Rachel's mind, um, in Rachel's mind, J- Joseph, she, you know, we know she struggled having children. It took her a long time to have children. And, and uh, while Leah and the midwives were, or the, the concubines were having children, uh, Rachel was the wife Jacob loved and she couldn't have children. So Rachel was, was just desperately seeking God about it. And when finally Rachel got pregnant and had a baby, she named him Joseph. It means may he add. And the idea there is that in Rachel's mind she was saying, and this is, this is maybe the first, but it's not going to be the last. May he add, I'm going to have more than just Joseph. There's more of this to come. I just know there's more to come. And, and really there, were, there weren't many more to come. As a matter of fact, that which she desired the most was just to have another child. And in having another child, child, that is when she lost her life. The answer to her prayer was that which took her life. Sometimes we pray for something we think we need only to find out it's not everything we thought it was going to be. There are some other elements to her death. We're not going to necessarily deal with those. But I want to highlight something here. I want to highlight the name she chooses in verse 17. Well, in verse 17, her midwife says, uh, you know, she tries to comfort her. Rachel essentially refuses the comfort. And she names her, in verse 18, she names her son Benoni. Benoni. And Benoni means son of my sorrow. So she was saying the birth of this son has caused me to mourn and lament and weep. And in the moment, Rachel was focused on the resistance. She was focused on the difficulty. She was focused on on the sorrow, the Benoni. And Jacob hears the name Benoni and in a significant move he changes the name. Because Jacob doesn't want to just look at Benjamin the rest of his life and say sorrow. Sorrow. Jacob doesn't want to look at this son of his and be reminded of the loss of his wife that he loved dearly. I mean, Rachel's name would have reminded them every time that this was a sorrow and there were forces at work and forces opposing them when they were trying to move forward for God. Listen, it's tough enough to keep moving forward, much less using a name all the time that reminds you of how hard it was. Jacob didn't want that. So, Jacob calls him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Rachel's name is Benoni, it means focused on the difficulty, it's focused on the sorrow. But Jacob seems to have made a switch. See, and, I, and just pay attention because when we bring in the application, I think you'll, see, you'll start to see this. See, Jacob's not willing to live his life reminding himself and reminding other people of how hard life is. And sometimes we do that sometimes uh, it seems there are some people or some personalities or some seasons of life and, and listen, you might ask them how they're doing, but sometimes you're kind of you're, you're, you kind of regret it when they start giving you the answer. Because all you ever hear is the binoni and the sorrow and the difficulty. And listen, before you think I'm downplaying that, I'm not downplaying that at all. But what I'm telling you this morning is you have a choice on what to focus on. You can either look at the difficulty and say, Benoni, sorrow. Or you can look at the difficulty and you can say, Benjamin, son of my right hand, strength, strength. Honor. God values this young boy. God's going to do something with this boy. He has a future in God's plans. Benjamin became one of the 12 tribes. He wasn't just a son of sorrow, he was a son of hope. He was a son with a future. And what we see in this account listen, what we see is the reality of following God. See, you can move forward and you can live for God and you can serve God and make his house a priority. You can put him first in your family. You can re- even rearrange your schedules to make sure that everybody gets to go to church. And You can choose to where you live based on, is there a good church there? We just had a, a family, the, uh, we, Jeremy and Heidi just moved here and they, they specifically moved here uh, to go to Eastside Baptist Church. They... Picked a a house in the neighborhood right by where our church is. Because they want to make a priority of God's house. I'm thankful for that. You can do that. That's moving forward for God. You can make him a priority in your finances. You can put him first and you can serve at Eastside and serve God by teaching or singing in the choir. You can serve by going out on track team this coming Saturday and inviting kids to VBS. All of those things are good. They're the marks of somebody moving forward for God and doing their work just like Jacob. But making those kind of decisions doesn't mean you get to avoid the resistance that comes when you're trying to do right. Ask Joseph, Jacob's son. Now, if you're wondering, just uh, no, doesn't seem fair. I've done everything right. Uh, that, why does it work this way? It, this is, it should be different. No, ask Joseph. You remember Joseph? I mean, Jacob's son, Joseph, who was an upright and uh, outstanding young man. As a teenager, his brothers sold him into slavery. He was sold to Potiphar's house, lied about in Potiphar's house, thrown into prison unfairly, unjustly. Now you talk to about, you want to know um, if, if it's always easy for the people trying to do right? You could ask Joseph and he'd give you the answer. You could ask Moses, who was just trying to lead God's people through the wilderness and do what God wanted him to. Literally just following God through the wilderness. And he had a couple million people griping at him at every turn. You could ask Daniel, as he sat in the lion's den, if it's always easy when you're trying to follow God. You could ask Nehemiah who's just trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Trying to do what's right if, if, uh, if it's always easy when you're trying to do right for God. You could ask any of the apostles. You could ask John the Baptist. You could ask the Apostle Paul by reading what he wrote about the Christian life in 2 Corinthians 11. And just read, read what he wrote about how brutal his life was. If you're wondering, is it always easy when you're trying to follow God? No, you don't get to avoid the troubles. 2 Timothy 3, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus Christ himself was crucified. He didn't avoid the troubles. And the trouble is real. So listen, I'm not downplaying the troubles today. Jacob was dealing with the sting of death. And he was dealing with the sorrow of sin. His own son was dealt with him in a way that should never have been done. But he, he couldn't avoid death and sin because that's where we live. I mean, just this week, boy. You know, the, the news came on, on Tuesday about the school shooting. I think it was Tuesday. And my wife said, did you hear about the school shooting? And I'd been busy working on stuff at the church. I hadn't heard anything about it. You know, the details start to come out. And hey, just kind of it blows your mind. And for the first time, you know, my uh, some of our children, for the first time, it's registering that this stuff goes on in our world. And I was looking at Jace sitting on the couch across from me and trying to explain to him what went on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, he's in fourth grade, going into fourth grade. He's nine years old. You know, if, what if he had been in that classroom? And then he's and I'm watching the the watching him process this for the first time he's processing that somebody could do that to somebody else to uh, to a child and and it just you see it on his face and there's he's perplexed like how could I mean does that what that really happen in our world I mean is that really the world we live in and I, I'm thinking about him and and it's sobering for me to watch him go through that and how heavy that that Thought process is: Listen, if and, and if I'm focused on the moment, all I'm going to say is Benoni. Sorrow, only sorrow. The sting of death is a terrible thing, and Jacob could have just packed it in. First Deborah, then Rachel, then Isaac. And to make it all worse, Re- Reuben pulls a stunt in verse 23 and lays with Bilha, which is Jacob's concubine. And and remember, in those days, the marrying of multiple wives was more culturally acceptable. Now, listen, I didn't say it was acceptable to God. I mean, God said one man, one woman for life. That's it. But Jacob had children with four different women. That's just the reality of the situation. You've got Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah. And Bilhah is that third concubine. Reuben is his oldest son, the son of Leah. And, and he committed this sin of lying with Bilhah. And, and it wasn't just a moment of lust. I, I believe it was probably Reuben's attempt to become the new patriarch of the family. See, Reuben was the oldest, which meant he had the right of inheritance. And and he knew that he would someday, hopefully, replace his father as the patriarch. So he sees this opportunity and he takes it. It's not the only time in scripture this happens. Absalom attempted to do the same thing to his father, David, over in 2 Samuel. And so Jacob doesn't respond directly here. But this act plays a major role in the inheritance that Reuben gets or doesn't get later on. See the point though is this, Jacob didn't just deal with the sting of death, he also had to deal with the sorrow of sin. I mean he didn't just deal with the death of Rachel and Deborah and his dad, now he's dealing with the effects of somebody sinning against him. And if, and if Jacob's not careful, he's going to look at the, de- the sting of death and the sorrow of sin and he's just going to say, Benoni. I'm done. I'm going to pack this in, Benoni. It's only sorrow. It's only trouble. It's only disappointment. I want to focus on the despair. It's unfair that I've had to deal with all this. Why do I have this financial hardship when I've tried to do right? Why why do I have this health burden when I've followed God? Why is it always me having to fix my car? Why did my loved one die? Why am I the one affected by their choices to sin? Am I the only one who deserves this? Am I the only one who has to deal with this? Benoni. Sorrow. It's all I see. And listen, that's the response of many of God's people. And it's why many of them who should be here this morning are no longer in Bethel. Because at some point along the way, all they could see is Benoni. There should be many more here this morning that have become casualties because of a Benoni mindset, only sorrow. And again, I'm not trying to downplay the sorrow. I'm not. It was present here in this story. It's been present in many of your lives. What I'm trying to get you to do is see is you don't have to allow the sorrow of life to make you a casualty. See, what Jacob's example tells us is this. It's possible to see the Benoni, but choose the Benjamin. How did Jacob do it? Well, God had just reminded him of his promises. Listen, God had just said, Jacob, I'm going to reconfirm my promises. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to give you a place. In other words, Jacob was convinced. Listen, Jacob was convinced that God's future promises were greater than his present sorrows. God's future promises were greater than his present sorrows. And I'm thankful for that truth. I'm thankful for that example. Manny, would you come up here? Manny's a good guy to use for illustrations. Manny's tough. Now he is. Have you ever seen him wrestle? He's tough. But he's also, he's also not fully grown. Okay, he's still a hatchling. Okay, we'll not call him. So he's not as big as he's going to be, but I want, I want Manny to represent us in our Christian life. Okay. So Manny, I'm going to have you, uh, we'll, we'll come have you come stand right here behind the pulpit and I need a couple of the bigger guys. Okay. Where's Carter? Carter, you were just used last week. You did a bang up job. Come on. <laughs> Noah, come here. I'm sorry, Jonah. Come here. I said, Noah. I was looking at him. I used you last time. Not again. Okay, you guys come stand right here. I want each of you to just stand right here side by side looking at Manny, okay? So, okay. So do you see the size differential? Do you? Okay. All right, you do. Um, Manny can still out-wrestle both these guys at the same time. I'm just calling it right now, okay? Challenge accepted. (laughs) Well, see, Manny represents us in our Christian life. And... These guys represent, we're going to say that they represent death and sin. It's a deliberate choice there. You've got death and you've got sin. Now Manny on his own, I just want you to try to walk right between them. And you guys do not let him walk between, between the two of you. Just try to walk between yeah, there you go. Actually, while he's doing it, maybe give him, maybe kind of rough him up a little bit. Yep, okay. So, there you go. Okay. So, that goes on. Just keep, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. See, if Manny is at the mercy of death and sin on his own, he has no hope of working his way through those things. But... If Manny represents us, he's not alone. See, Manny, you can yeah. Okay, we'll we'll patch you up for just a minute here. And I was gonna have Brother Heath, but I don't see him now. Um, Brother Chad, Brother Chad is is bigger than Manny. That's an understatement. Okay, <laughs> so Brother Chad now is in front of Manny. And Brother Chad, if Manny kind of latches on, right here, just do this, okay? If Brother Chad, no, listen. So Brother Chad represents a father bigger than us. And Brother Chad, he's going to walk through sin and death with no problem. Go ahead. No problems at all. There you go. excellent see look yep come back over here so okay so we're going to do this again because I I mean I love I'd just love to see what happens when this happens. so once again I just want to remind you Manny attached to a father bigger than sin and death has no trouble walking right through sin and death go one more time there you go there you go yes okay there you go let's move that water there you go okay so they'll come back to our original positions now. And here's, here are the things I want to point out to you about this. You see, Manny represents us in our Christian life. And Brother Chad represents the Father that's on our side. Right, right, yes. right. And sin and death represent that which we will always face as long as we're alive. Yeah, right. And I want to point out a few things about this. Number one, a Benjamin mindset. See, if, if Manny is doing this on his own... All he's going to say is benoni. Because all he sees is the effects of sin and death. But if he comes and attaches himself to a father bigger than him... ...and they walk through sin and death... ...now he's got a Benjamin mindset. And yes, the sorrow is there... ...but it doesn't affect him the way that it used to... ...because he's got a father bigger than the sin and the death. He's got a father bigger than the sorrows. And one, one truth... ...here's three truths I want you to hear about this. Number one is that a Benjamin mindset doesn't bypass the sorrow... It doesn't go around the sorrow. It simply attaches you to to a resource that's bigger than the sorrow. Number two, a Benjamin mindset doesn't mean you don't meet future sorrow. Because he walked through this sin and death right here and they'll get past it and you think it's happily ever after. But no, Guess guess what's waiting around the next corner? More sin, more death, more sorrow. But so just because you, you get through the sorrow of sin and death once, it doesn't mean you don't meet future sorrow. It simply keeps you in the best position to have victory over that sorrow that you're going to face the next day. Number three, the third truth, is a Benjamin mindset it means you realize if God can conquer sin and death, there's nothing in your life he can't handle. Sin and death are you, your two biggest problems. But if you have a father who has a plan to work his way through sin and death, there's nothing you're facing today that he can't handle. And there's nothing you'll face tomorrow that's too big for him. Thank you guys. I appreciate your help. Although I wanted to see the scenario one more time. Just for fun. No, okay, well. Listen, what does this look like for us? Well, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. See, 2 Corinthians 4. See, Jacob came to the point when he was hearing or being reminded of God's promises. Jacob got to the point where he thought, no, my God has made these promises. Therefore, his promises are greater than my present sorrow. And I choose to focus on what God is doing instead of what the sorrows are trying to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Here's a picture of this mindset in the New Testament. This is a Benoni versus Benjamin kind of a text. Look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians 4. This is Paul. You know what he says? We are troubled on every side. You know what that is? Benoni. We're troubled on every side. Yet not distressed. Benjamin We are perplexed, Benoni, but not in despair, Benjamin. We're persecuted, Benoni, but not forsaken, Benjamin. We're cast down, Benoni, but not destroyed, Benjamin. Always a bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. I choose to focus on what Jesus Christ has already done. He's already beaten sin and death, and therefore that resource is mine to have. For we which live are always delivered unto death For Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, Benoni, but life in you, Benjamin." No, uh, knife in you, Benjamin, we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. You know what that is? That's a picture of you attaching yourself to Jesus and just walking through sin and death because he's greater than sin and death. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, Benjamin, but though our outward man perish, Benoni, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Benjamin for our light affliction which is but for a moment Benoni worketh for us a a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory Benjamin while we look not at the things which are seen Benoni but at the things which are not seen Benjamin for the things which are seen are temporal Benoni but the things which are seen are eternal Benjamin you see how that mindset will change the way that you face your sorrows you can't avoid the sorrows, but you have a father greater than your sorrows. It doesn't mean you won't meet future sorrow, but you've attached yourself to the resource that will help you have victory over that sorrow. And that mindset means if you realize God can have you give you victory over sin and death, there's absolutely nothing in your life that he can't handle. You won't avoid sin and death. You can't, but he sent his son to conquer sin and death for you. So the Christian who allows the sorrows to cause them to proclaim benoni is ignoring the victory that you already have in Jesus Christ. He didn't avoid death. He died in our place. He didn't avoid sin. He took it upon himself. But he died and rose again, conquering sin and death for every one of us. Listen, if you don't know Christ All you have to do to receive the victory over the effects of sin and death is admit your sin and receive Jesus Christ by faith as salvation in his payment. It is a free gift, Benjamin. Christian, all you have to do to have victory over sin and of the sorrow of sin and death is to say Benjamin instead of Benoni. Meaning, I choose to focus on a God whose promises are greater than my present sorrows. Therefore, Benjamin, I will focus on him rather than difficulties because someday he's going to make everything right. Krishna, have you been wallowing in a Benoni kind of way? I'm not downplaying the sorrow. It's real, but why wallow? You don't have to. And again, I'm not downplaying your sorrow. I'm telling you to lift up your Savior. Because he's greater than your sorrow. He's greater than your sin. And He is greater than your death. He died so you don't have to be defeated by the difficulties. You can't avoid them, but you can choose to rise above them through Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. 2 Corinthians is an amazing text. You know who wrote it? Who wrote it? Paul. A guy named Paul, the apostle. And you know what tribe Paul was from? Well, there's a few times in the New Testament, most notably in Philippians 3, he said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. See, not only was it his heritage, but it was also his mindset. See, here's the last truth I want you to see here is that when Rachel saw a baby, all she saw was sorrow. But Jacob looked at that, at what could have just been sorrow, and dreamed about what a baby could become. And that baby became the tribe of Israel, Benjamin, that would one day produce the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, the Apostle Paul. And if you will look, listen, if you will look past the sorrow, ...and allow God to work through it. He can take your sorrow... ...and produce something in you... ...beyond what you thought was possible. Your response... ...to sorrow... ...could transform you... ...into something you never thought you could be. Or... ...it could take you down. And most people... ...never get past the sorrow. But listen... The ones that do put themselves in a position to see God do something greater in their future than they ever thought he could. Paul himself said, all of these things that we're dealing with, bearing in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, it, man, it creates life in you. Uh, he says, we're delivered unto death, but that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. He says, death works in us, but it's life in you. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed. It's an affliction for us, but it's worth for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And what Paul said is, I look at the sorrow as a way for God to transform me into something better. I look at the sorrow as a way for God to work through me, to, make, to do something in your life that would not have happened if I had res- responded with Benoni. Instead, I say Benjamin, and look what God can do with it. See, God can use the sorrows to transform us and impact other people, but it all depends on our response to those sorrows. Benoni or Benjamin? Friend, maybe it's time to turn the frown upside down. And keep the sunny side up, as the kid song says. Why? Stop wallowing. Stop playing the victim. Everyone deals with troubles. But here, you have a savior, savior great enough to conquer sin and death. And therefore, you don't have to choose Benoni. You can choose Benjamin. Amen. Will you? To the person in here that's not saved this morning, listen, life is full of sin and death. And if you're trying to conquer it on your own, they're going to just repel you. But Jesus Christ died. He didn't avoid sin and death. He went to the cross to die for sin and conquer death. So all you have to do this morning to receive that payment is say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I receive you this morning as my savior. And he can take you right on past the sin and sorrow and the sin of death and the sting of of sin and all of that. He can take you right past it. But you have to place your faith in it. And listen, if you will this morning, when you die, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can spend eternity in heaven with him. And although the sorrow is heavy now, you'll have something to look forward to that's better than the sorrow. You have a Savior that is able to keep his promises and they are greater than your present sorrow. Will you today stop looking at the sorrow and look at your savior it's time some of you have been wallowing in benoni for a long time it's time to look up and say benjamin instead let's stand we want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com